0: your first time here. Maybe it's been a long time. Uh, we just want to say welcome. My name is Josh. Uh, my wife, Brittany, and I serve as the lead pastors here. And uh, and we're just grateful that you've joined us today. Maybe you're online for the first time or you're here. We'd love a chance to meet you. We actually find ourselves in the lobby following each service just to shake a hand, help connect you in any way possible. Uh, and so here's the good thing. We're kicking off a brand new series today. And uh, I love when we kick off brand new series because I don't have to tell you about what we've been talking about the past four weeks, okay? Uh, so it's great. I just get to tell you where we're going. And, uh, and for this series, we're diving in. It's called Quotation Marks, and we're going to be talking about the words of Jesus. So we're going to be looking at uh, some of the passages where Jesus speaks uh, through Scripture. He talks a lot in the New Testament, the four Gospels. And so uh, here, here's just what I know. And this is kind of the heart behind the series, is uh, I know a lot of people who, uh, who quote other people, sometimes Jesus, sometimes the Bible, sometimes their mother, uh, and they quote them out of context. And that can get you in trouble a little bit. It, it, and, and just track with me for a second, because um, I found some kids' quotations about things in Scripture And, uh, and it, it just, it just brought some joy to my soul because I've interacted with a lot of people over the course of my life. And it's always interesting that, that people just will, will throw quotes out and you're like, where did that come from? Is that really in the right context? Uh, and so I I just thought that, that a few of these things that the kids had to say was, was just a good way to get us started today. And, and one kid said this, and these are not our children. These are, uh, children from another, uh, dysfunctional church somewhere else, uh, but this one <laughs> this one kid said this, Jesus had 12 opossums. The worst one was Judas asparagus. Judas was so evil that they named a terrible vegetable after him. It says, this is another child, uh, it says, the Lord thy God is one. But I think he's a lot older than that. You are quicker than the last service. That's good. When you get scared, God will bring you your quilt because he said the comforter will come. The greatest miracle in the Bible was when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. Yeah. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Joshua led the Israelites in the battle of Jericho. <laughs> it's my favorite. A Christian should only have one spouse. This is called monotony. We <laughs> you are a little slow. First service is a little older. Got that one a little quicker. It's good. These things are funny. There are a lot more that I could have read. Uh, but here's, here's the not so funny part is is there are so many people that would probably even be here this morning we've all been guilty of it where we use scripture out of context to apply to our situation and our circumstance we take scripture to make it mean what we want it to mean so we feel better about our situation or more confident in the decisions we're making when really, if we want to do a good job in this journey of faith, we have, to, we have to take in, what is God speaking to me? And it's not in the isolated verse that we manipulate to fit our circumstance, but in the totality of what is God trying to speak and communicate to us. And so we can all be guilty to where we take things out of context, and all of a sudden, we feel like Solomon had a bunch of porcupines. And, uh, and if you've read scripture, you know that that's just not the case. And if you haven't read scripture before, that's okay. Don't you're like I'm just laughing because people are laughing, uh, you, you know those those people, sympathetic laughers. You know, everybody else is laughing. We were, we were at a, a comedy show with some friends the other night and you just kind of have to read the room. Is this appropriate for me to laugh at or is it not based on the people that are laughing around me, you know? Uh, we It was Trey Kennedy, so we were seeing an appropriate comedian. Don't question. You're like, what church am I at? Pastors at Friday nights at the comedy thing. It's good. We just... We all need to laugh every now and again, so I'm just going to say that. But the next few weeks, we're going to hop into this series and we're going to be looking at some of the things that Jesus has said and how can we take this and apply it to our life so that we can have confidence in our faith, confidence in this journey, and really look at what Jesus is calling us to do and not just how we can conveniently adapt his words to our life. Because really, our words or our life should be adapted to his speaking and his words, so we're going to hop in, we're going to be reading uh, 13 scriptures today, 13 verses, chapter 11 of uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we're just going to dive right in and we're going to go through because um, many of you have probably uh, can recall a few of these verses real quick and you'll get there and you'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard that my whole life, but it is the totality of what Jesus is saying here that we need to, to, to comprehend today. Picking up in verse 1, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So this is Jesus' response in verse 2. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, I would not be a good friend if you come to my house at midnight asking for three loaves of bread. Not going to be a good friend. Verse six, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers don't bother me the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed I can't get up and give you anything I tell you even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship yet because of your shameless audacity he will surely get up and give you as much as you need so I say to you ask him It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today. We thank you because you are wonderful. You love us so much. And God, we just take a moment just to offer praise to you. God, we thank you that you have given us your scripture. Would you speak to us today? Challenge our hearts and our lives. May we grow and may we journey and take a step of faith with you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So here, most of us in the room, if you've grown up with church, if you've been in church for a season of your life, if you've been around Christians at all, you've probably heard these, these verses in 9 and 10, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And that feels real good when we need an answer for a situation. That that becomes this, this instant challenge or instant communication. Somebody's going through a hard time, and you're just like, just ask God, and he'll give it to you. Seek him, you'll find him. Knock, the door will be open, which is great because it is a promise, but Jesus did not isolate, and that's not the only thing when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. There's actually a lot more meat here. He goes through the Lord's Prayer. He talks about this friend who most of us could relate to if somebody's knocking on your door asking for bread at midnight. Who does that? Then he talks about this ask, seek, knock, and now he comes back and wants to remind us and communicate with us the love of the Father and how good he is. See, Jesus is packing so much more into these few scriptures than just this simple promise to ask, seek, and knock, and we'll receive an answer. So how do we we look at this? We're going to talk about prayer today and Jesus' instruction for prayer. And can I tell you, when we get talking about prayer, we get a little insecure when we start to talk about prayer. Because if I asked most people in this room to come up on stage and pray over service today, most of you would start to squirm in your seat and you would never come back to this church again. See, the laughter, those are the ones who are being honest with themselves right now. I mean, let's just be real. When we went to the comedy show the other night, we strategically sat in a place in hopes that we would not be the, 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 the joke of the night. Good move. I know. Like, I'm leaning over to Brittany, and I'm like, do not raise your hand for anything. Do not volunteer any response. I don't want to be that guy tonight, you know? Trying to, trying to avoid. Why? Because I don't want to be the joke in a room full of people. I'm just, I'm just being open and vulnerable and honest with you. And the same thing happens in our prayer life when people put us on the spot. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody's like, hey, will you pray? And you're like, oh, I wasn't hiding good enough in that moment. Can I tell you something as a pastor? I can't go to any family gathering without being bestowed upon. Pastor, will you pray for us? And I'm like, I pray all the time. Give it to somebody else for crying out loud. (laughs) Just had to say that publicly that maybe we'll change the culture of our families right now. (laughs) But it happens. Why do we do it? Because pastor better be praying if he's leading the church. So we're not going to put anybody else on the spot and really see how their prayer life's going. But we don't like to talk about prayer because most of us are very insecure with where our prayer life is. If we really begin to look at what is the depth of our prayer life, we would find ourselves in this immature place, and we don't want to expose that to anybody else. We become insecure in this. And so we avoid it rather than pressing in. It's just like me in basketball. Y'all laugh. <laughs> I mean, maybe I could dunk and you just don't know. No, I absolutely can't. I hate the game of basketball. I'm so insecure about the game of basketball. I have friends who are constantly trying to get me to play basketball. And I'm like, no, I don't play basketball. I'm five foot seven on a great day, not coordinated at all. You want me to take this ball, get it in that hoop? And I'm the shortest person in the room. Like we just, (laughs) not happening. So what do we do? I don't press in to learn the game of basketball because I just give it up hope. We do the same thing in our prayer life. We get insecure rather than pressing in and doing something about it. We just want to run and hide so that we're not called upon and nobody's asking us to move from where we are to where we need to be in our prayer life. But See, I think Jesus gives us different command here. He gives us a different outline for what prayer should look like, and he's calling us to a different place, and the only way we're going to get to where Jesus wants us to be in our prayer life is to do something about it. See here's the thing. You may feel like you're five foot seven, or you may feel like you're four- foot 11 in your prayer life, but here's the beauty of our relationship with God. We can grow beyond where we are. I can't do anything at 36 years of age about my height. Or my coordination, or my basketball ability, I can't happen. But in my prayer life, I can. And so I don't want you to take this as, hey, we're setting this bar so high when it comes to our prayer life that I can't obtain it. No, we're just looking at what Jesus has called us to do. And wherever you are on this journey, if you've been serving the Lord, if today is going to be your first day of accepting Jesus into your life, or you've been serving him for 105 years, it does not matter. The outline is still the same. And it's a pattern, it's steps, it's a journey that we can take so that our prayer life, we can operate in confidence and we can pray as Jesus would want us to pray. So let's hop in. The first thing that Jesus teaches us on how to pray is to pray God-centered prayers. We see this in verse 2. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come.'" Can I tell you that prayer is always supposed to be God-centered? Yet most of us have not moved out of immaturity because our prayers are self-centered and not God-centered. The only time we hit our our knees is when we're in need. Some of y'all feeling it over here because you're tracking with me a little bit because this is how our prayer life looks. We wanna bring God our grocery list of everything we want or everything we're lacking, and we haven't spent time centering our life on him, centering our prayers on him. And so Jesus tells us, say, Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You You know what that says? That says, God, we praise you because you are the king of the universe. You are worthy to be praised. You are magnificent beyond our comprehension. Do you know what this does? This all of a sudden makes God bigger in our eyes and our problems smaller. Why does Jesus tell us in this to be God-centered in our prayers? Because our list of things we need and things we're asking for changes when we center our life on God. See, I, I believe this. If you've ever been to the chiropractor, they warm you up. They get that little machine out that just gives you a concussion if it hits your head, you know? It's like da 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 You know, y'all haven't been to the chiropractor lately. Next time you go, there's two things that you need to do. Have them beat you up with that machine or have them hook you to the electrical like thing that just causes your back to do this. I'm like, more electric. Yeah, anyways, y'all just missing out on life. Then they come in, they spin your head 360 degrees. It's awesome. (laughs) But here's here's what happens. They got to warm you up. Doc don't come in and just say, wah, you know? It doesn't happen that way. They're like easing, making sure you get all loose. And what are they doing? They're making sure everything is in alignment for the adjustment so you can leave that appointment and feel better about yourself. But so many times we miss the adjustment of where God needs us to be centered on Him so then He can take us where He wants us to be. This is in our prayer life and this is in the life we're living. Why do we worship before we hop into the Word? Because worship is how we center our life on God. We don't just gather to sing some great songs on Sunday morning. It's more than just... Because if all we were doing is just singing some songs, like we would just put on, you know, top 40 and just have a good time. That's not what it's about. It's not getting you in the right mood. It's centering your life to say, God, you are worth it. I'm going I'm to declare. It doesn't matter what I've come in here with. I'm going to declare. I'm going to build my life on God. When we begin to recenter ourselves on God, it changes everything about our life. We don't just accidentally do church the way we do for no reason. No, I believe that we have to center our life on God so then we can receive from his word to hear what he wants us to hear so that we can live the life that he's called us to live. There's a progression that we center our life on God. We receive what God has for us and then we go and we live a life that he's called us to. And Jesus tells us, to center your life, center your prayer on God. So first and foremost, in prayer, we have to to exalt God's name to give us the right perspective. And then I I love that Jesus says this in verse 2 too, that he says, when we pray. See, some look at the the Lord's prayer as just this, well, maybe your church tradition growing up, you recited the Lord's prayer every Sunday. Or maybe you look and say, well, that's really for formal occasions. No, Jesus is giving us the Lord's Prayer, not as as a religious ritual, but he's giving it as a framework. And here's the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know how to pray, it's a great place to start. That Jesus, we can use the words of Jesus to begin our prayer life. Because so many people are like, well, I don't know where to begin. And I do. I think that we can ask God, God, help me. Help me in my prayer life. Help me to take a step so that I'm in better communication with you, that I'm spending more time with you. But if we can't even get to that point, we can just start with the Lord's prayer. But he gives it to us not so that it's, it's on a routine, but so that we begin to frame our, our, our prayers of every time we pray. This, is, this should be a daily whenever you pray. We begin to express a desire for the name of God to be valued more than our problems, more than our situation, more than our agenda. We are trusting and declaring, hallowed be thy name, that God is the king of the universe, the creator of all things. He's worthy to be praised. We're citing our life in. For you hunters, This is going to the range and making sure that that's scope. What do you do? You don't sight in your rifle when you're out hunting. You go and you prepare for what is going to take place. We're calibrating our life in in our time and prayer with God. The second thing Jesus teaches us is this. He teaches us to pray without giving up. Teaches us to pray without giving up. Verses 5 through 10, we see these two accounts that really give us some clarity here. But I'm, I'm going to reread verse 8 through 10. Since says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So you know what I want to tell you today? Hang in there. Don't give up and be persistent. Because I think so many times we, we give up on our prayers because we're just not seeing the activity that we want to see in our timing. But there's something key here that God, it, Jesus, who is God, is looking, and he's giving us a glimpse of how good our father is, but he's also giving us a challenge of don't give up. Don't back down. There's a few things here in, in, in verse 9 as we're seeing this ask, seek, and not. The first is this, is that if you, if you actually get into the Greek verbs, they're, they are continuously act, like active. So it's not ask and it shall be given to you. It's keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And then we see that Jesus actually repeats a very similar phrase in ask, seek, knock. It's, it's, it's this action. Well, anytime you see anything repeated in Scripture, it increases the importance Think of it as your mom or dad giving you instruction. If they tell you one time, it's something. You should still obey. But if they tell you three times, you better not you better not get off course. Maybe our parenting style is just different. If I tell my kids three times to do something, it just increases the temperature every time. So he repeats himself three times and then again. So six times he's given us this continuous action to press in. I don't know about you, but that tells me that this is important. And then I I love this, is that these three commands are are gradually drawing us closer to our Heavenly Father. So think about it this way. I ask you where your house is. And then I seek to find where your house is. And then I have to knock on the door to get into your house. Or you could just break down the door, but that would be like not, not couth. Okay, I'm just going to knock on your door and just come right in. That's great. Here's the thing. We're drawing closer. Ask, seek, knock. Progressively drawing closer to the Father. Jesus Jesus didn't mince his words. He's not, this isn't a mistake in the order and what, in the action that he's calling us to do. He's giving us a strategy to get exactly a game plan, a road map to get where he wants us to be. That we would start by just asking. We would we would press in to continuously seek, and then we we're gonna knock on the door. But I, I think there's also something important here, not just the persistence, but Jesus kind of frames. Because I think so many times we can, we can put God in the picture of this friend that we show up to his house at midnight and we're asking for three loaves of bread and all of a sudden when we don't see it coming, we feel like the friend doesn't love us, we begin to question. But that's why Jesus bookends on the other side and says, no, 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 he's not like that friend. He's not even like the best earthly father you've ever experienced. He is the perfect heavenly father who loves you, who sees you, and he wants to give you what you need for your life. But you got to be persistent. You've got to press in. You've, you've got to continue to trust and wait on the Lord. But why do we stay persistent if our prayers aren't being answered? I mean, that's a real question. What if we don't see any activity? And I think the only answer we find in this passage from Jesus is when he says, when the Father in heaven gives us you know, this slow answer, it's because he's giving us a fish and not a serpent. I don't know about you. Like, I enjoy eating fish. I don't know that if somebody brings out a snake, I'm going to feel too kindly about it. I don't do snakes. I, 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 I know. We have friends that have, like, pet snakes. Nope, not happening. Because I will not be able to sleep in that house if I come in and that cage is empty. Yeah, all the other normal people said, amen. Like this. But I I need you to track with me here that sometimes God's slowness or his speed to deliver the answer is not because he's ignoring us. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because it's in his timing and he may just have something better for us that's waiting. And that takes trust. That takes not giving up. How many many situations in our life, I, I just believe that, you know, Maybe one day when we get to heaven, we're gonna be able to look back on the flashback of all of our misses, you know? I don't know, maybe that doesn't happen. Hopefully God just wipes them from our mind and we don't have to. But, you know, there, there probably is this side of me that's like, I wanna see where I miss God. Not so that I feel guilty, just like out of curiosity because I know that I've missed God. I don't think there's anybody in this room that says, I've never missed God, pastor. I've gotten it right every time those people don't exist (laughs) it's not possible but i think sometimes we just like to take matters into our own hand and we want to accelerate on our timeline and the way we see fit and really god's on the other side and saying if you would just trust me if you'd have just taken three steps more in in your journey with me it's on the other side of this door not because he's trying to lure us no he's trying to position us right where he wants us God's not a God that manipulates us and he's not trying to distract us. He's trying to lead us and guide us so that we can walk in the fullness. But it gives us this promise that those who go on asking, seeking, finding, knocking, the door is opened. But you've got to come back to the beginning. And the things that we ask for and the things that we seek for and the doors that we're knocking on, they change when our life is God-centered. So this promise rings true when we're centered on God. But if we miss that, the things we're asking for, the things we're seeking for, the things we're knocking for are doors and things that we have no business having in our life. The third thing Jesus teaches us here is he teaches us to pray with security. So it says in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, Jesus is teaching us here to pray with a sense of security in the Father's love. He's telling us, trust that your your Father in heaven is a good Father. He doesn't want us to be insecure in our prayers. Most of us, if we know the answer is no, we don't want to ask it. But if we trust if we trust our father, if we trust our and we can even if we trust our earthly father, our earthly mother and we know that they're only going to tell us what's best for us, we kind of walk in this confidence, hey, I can ask him anything I need to. And Jesus is trying to give us this example that we can trust God because he's our heavenly father and he's the perfect heavenly father. So we can ask him things. And receive a no or receive a slow answer or receive whatever he has for us because he knows what's best. When we begin to even say our father who are in heaven, it begins to frame as we're centering our life on God, it begins to frame our mind that God is a good father. And I love this, how much more, it's this crucial phrase here in this scripture because it's it's just comparing. How much more is God than, than the best dad you could ever paint or imagine. And so some, let's speak to the reality, some of us in this room have not had great experiences with our earthly fathers. That doesn't change the nature and the character of God. We could have the best dad or the worst dad on the planet, but God is the perfect example of a father. And so here's the thing, if I, if I didn't, and I have a wonderful dad, but if I didn't, then my prayer, I've got to ask God as I'm centering my life on him, I've got to begin to ask God to help me understand what it's like to have a heavenly father that loves me, that's there for me, that hasn't neglected me, that's not short with me, that loves me beyond all of my understanding. And God will do it. I think about this past Sunday um, was Mother's Day. If you didn't remember. And, uh, and so Sunday afternoon, uh, we had a wonderful time celebrating Mother's Day and went to the uh, Greenville Drive baseball game. And, uh, and so it's good. Dads, if you need help in learning how to celebrate Mother's Day, I, I can teach you a thing or two. Hey, mom, let's take the boys and go to a baseball game on Mother's Day. It was great. Um, it really was. I, I just, you know, most people were like, Mother's Day at the ballpark. She got to buy flowers and stuff. They had a real cool mom deal there. Uh, they honored a bunch of moms. It was, it was great. Well, Jensen, Jensen's our four year old, and he slept through Mother's Day lunch. It was wonderful. Celebrating mom. <laughs> she's just sleeping in her arms. You know, she's trying to eat. And, uh, and Jensen, he wakes up at the when we're going to the baseball game, and obviously he's hungry. It's like three o'clock. Who wouldn't be hungry if you didn't eat lunch? And so we're like, Jensen, what do you want for lunch? Well, here's the thing: I need to backtrack here. Because I love taking my boys to sporting events because I want them to pull for the teams that I pull for. Because that would just create a very hostile environment in our household if they didn't like the teams that I like. So here's our ritual when we go to sporting events. Whatever you want. There is nothing's off limits. Well, I mean, I'm sure some things are off limits, but you know, whatever you want. My boys dipping dots, frozen lemonade with like a side of ice cream. You know, it's awesome. We have a good time. So Jensen wakes up and he knows we're at the baseball game. We're like, what do you want for lunch? And he's like, cotton candy. <laughs> it's mother's day. The answer is yes. Let's keep the kids happy. It's awesome. So Jensen is eating his wonderful, nutritious lunch of cotton candy and he gets about halfway down and it's, it's the cotton candy in the little container. And so he has taken the entire cotton candy out and he's just like eating the cotton candy. It's awesome. Everything's sticky. I'm like, don't touch me. Touch mom. Wait, it's mother's day. Hand me your hands. Let me clean you up. I mean, it's good, (laughs) but he gets about halfway down the cotton candy and it falls to the ground. And he looks and says, Dad, you can just blow it off. <laughs> so what I do? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not a germaphobe, but that's pretty gross. I don't know the last time that, you know, the stadium's been like sterilized from everything that's on everybody's feet. I mean, I've been tossing boiled peanut shells down there and cotton candies just laying amongst all this trash. It's awesome. But here's the thing. Fathers know what's best, and I knew in that moment what Jensen could not see. I could. I knew that he may even, he's looking at the cotton candy from his point of view, and it's not dirty on that side. And so how many times in our life are we reaching for stuff that's filthy and disgusting? We're reaching for the old, and God is like, no, I've got something new for you because I love you. I know what's best for you. Can you actually pray and trust with your life that I'm a loving father that knows what's best in your life? See, we give up. We struggle with, with being persistent in our prayers because we just don't see the activity of the Lord as fast as what we would on our timeline. And he's just looking from the loving father's perspective and saying, but I know what's best for you, child. Stop picking up the filth of what, I've got something new at the concession stand. It's on its way. Because all I had to do was order him some other food and put it in his lap and he was good to go. Because that's what dads do. And our Heavenly Father does the same thing. We're trying to grab the dirty, the old, the stuff that feels comfortable to us. And God's saying, hold up. I've got something better for you. Now here's the thing. We may be asking for a fish. God's not going to give us a, a, a snake. But he may give us some Tylenol sometimes. He may give us some, some tums to, to help with the heartburn. It may not always be what we ask, but it is always going to be what's best for us. That's where we can pray secure prayers. And, and maybe our prayers should change to say, God, I need your will to be done in this situation versus praying what we want to have in existence. Because when we, can, when we trust God, when we get this peace, we can pray his will for our life and our circumstance and our situation because we trust that he knows what's best. He knows how the miracle needs to happen. He knows how the provision needs to come. He knows how the brokenness is going to be restored, but it's in his timeline. Do we trust him enough or are we manipulating? Or are we trying to force it ourselves? See, I just, I, I just think about this. If, if God didn't know what's best and we did, we would be trying to run the house. I don't know what your family dynamic is, but my kids aren't running my house. They're not ready to. There's there's this parent-child relationship. God is our father. We are his children. And there is something that we can can rest in that. Because he's going to give us what's good for us. Point four is this. Is that Jesus teaches us to pray for the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, he says, If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, this is in the Gospel of Luke here. I don't think it's an accident that Luke tells us in Luke 3:21 that while Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. I also don't think it's an accident that on the, the outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost happens at the climax of a 10-day prayer meeting. They're gathering and they're praying. I I also don't think it's an accident in Acts 41 that when the church prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us and knows what we need to navigate this life and to be on the journey that He's called us to. And so we've got to trust that He's a good God and ask for His Spirit to be with us. Prayer is the pathway to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, when we ask God to come into our life, I'm going to help you understand this because I'm not going to camp here too much because next Sunday is actually what we celebrate in the church. is Pentecost Sunday. And so we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus and what does he say about the Holy Spirit. But this is just like that first step in because here, here's, here's what I need you to understand is when we ask God to come into our life, we're actually asking for his spirit to be in us. So when we, Jesus, it's his spirit that comes and resides in us when we ask him to be Lord of our life. But there is a difference between having the spirit of God in us and having an outpouring of his spirit, an abundance of his spirit, an overflow of his spirit in our life. Track it this way. My kids were born because of the relationship Brittany and I shared together. And kids arrive. There's nothing in this world I can do to change the fact that I'm their dad. But there is a difference between me being dad by title and me outpouring my love and affection and protection and provision upon their life dad's here but dad really wants to give more than what you've experienced dad wants to constantly be with you on a daily basis dad doesn't want to abandon you dad wants to overflow you so that you have everything you need i don't want my kids to ever be in want and what does jesus say how much more than does your heavenly father give to those who ask for his spirit to be with them But it's more than just being with us. It's an overflow and and an empowerment. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us. Yet if we're insecure and immature in our prayers, we never take a step to say, God, I need your spirit. I need more of your spirit. When we begin to be centered on God, now we want more of God. Because everything begins to flow through this. See, I think sometimes we get it wrong. We say, hey, put God first in your life. But here's what happens. When we put God first, he's at the pinnacle of the pyramid. And there's a lot of other junk that begins to, to be behind him. When God's the center, somebody was talking to me in the lobby in between services. Pastor, when you, when you talk about God's center, I see, I see the wagon wheel and every spoke has to go through. And that's exactly the picture of how God should be in our life. That everything begins to flow in and through God. And if God's not the center of our life, everything's out of alignment. Everything's off. And how do we ensure that he stays center? His Holy Spirit continues to lead and guide us on a daily basis so that we're making movement and we're on that journey of faith that God's called us to, but it's by his Spirit. See, there are times we don't even know what to pray. Paul writes in Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There's something about the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And All of this, it's not just this ask, seek, knock. No, it's your life centered on God. Have you been persistent in saying, God, I'm not giving up? Are you trusting that your heavenly father is a good father? And are you asking his spirit to be with you, to overflow in your life? See, I believe if your prayer life begins to walk like this, your life will begin to be changed and transformed. You can't walk out of here praying this this format for prayer. If you begin to to exercise this today, tomorrow, all the next week, I promise you your life will look different. Why? Because most of us haven't even centered our life on God. We're still trying to figure out the order of our priorities. We haven't made Him the center. A lot of us, we we just give up too easily. We're, we're weak, but again, when we pray for His Spirit in our weakness, the Spirit of God is strong and mighty and at work within us we may have confidence in our prayer that we could move from a place of immaturity to maturity that we could grow up the way that God wants us to grow up because he sees good things for our life he's created us to experience them he he wants us to live and walk that journey of faith with him can we all bow our heads today if you're in the room today you say pastor you're talking about prayer today I I haven't even made a step To ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. Here's the cool thing. You take that step. There's no waiting period for when we can experience the prayer life God wants for us. There's no waiting period for us on how we can experience the depth of the relationship that he wants for us. All we do is we have to say yes and then we have to begin to take steps with him. That's it. So if you're here today, whether you're online, you're in the room. You say, Pastor, I need to to ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. I need him in me because I'm far from God. I've wandered away. I've never made a decision to have a relationship with him. Wherever you may find yourself today, today the answer is Jesus. It will always be Jesus. There's nothing else that you can seek for, ask for, knock on the door for in this life other than Jesus that will transform you to where you need to be. So if you're here today and you just say, Pastor, I need, to, I need to pray that prayer. Will you agree with me? Will you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking. Thank you. Anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? Say, today's my day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See those hands. Today's the day. Can we just all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for being a good God, a good father. Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. Help me to love you in Jesus name. everybody said.